millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. The New Statesman. You're listening to audio long reads from The New Statesman, the best of our reported features and essays read aloud. In this episode, Israel Hamas and the Unraveling of the West, written by John Gray and read by me, Melissa Deans. The link to read the article online is in the show notes. The Israel-Hamas war threatens to overturn what remains of a Western-led international order. An escalating conflict will empower Iran and Russia strengthen swing states such as Saudi Arabia and Qatar and alienate the global south. A blockage of oil supplies in the Strait of Hormuz would fuel inflation and ravage Western economies. Pulled back into the Middle East, the United States will turn away from Ukraine, its commitment to defending Taiwan will become more equivocal and the faltering hegemon will retreat. A fully multipolar system will come into being with all its instabilities and dangers. Some or all of this scenario might yet be averted if diplomatic efforts at de-escalation somehow gain traction. Yet one stark fact stands out. Ethics and geopolitics obey divergent imperatives. Judgments of justice in war collide with the logic of strategy and under the influence of progressive ideology, Western opinion has lost the capacity to make proportionate moral judgments. It should not be controversial to describe Hamas's 7th of October attack as a pogrom. In the worst massacre of Jews since the Holocaust, the children, pregnant women and old people who died, sometimes after rape or torture, were not military targets or collateral damage. Any views the adults among them had on Israeli policies were unknown to those who killed them. Hamas's anti-Semitism is demonstrated in its never-renounced original 1988 charter, which cites the infamous Protocols of the Elders of Zion, fabricated around the start of the 20th century prior to a series of pogroms against Jews in Tsarist Russia. An offshoot from the Muslim Brotherhood, Hamas has more in common with Al-Qaeda and ISIS than with Third World National Liberation Movements. Its goal is not only the destruction of the State of Israel. It aims to exterminate the Jews that live there and welcomes surging anti-Semitic attacks in other countries. 
Whatever crimes Israel may have committed against the Palestinians, this is a response no morality that is minimally civilised can sanction or condone. If ethics dictates that Hamas be condemned, geopolitics points in the opposite direction. There are many Arab governments that must secretly wish the Israelis success in eradicating the organisation as a military and political force. For the Saudis, the UAE and Egypt, it is a mortal enemy. With the Arab streets ablaze, none of them can do other than express unswerving public support for Hamas. The rapprochement that was underway with Israel has been derailed. Whether or not it was directly involved in planning the atrocity, Iran is the prime mover in the war. Hamas may be a small player, destined to be sacrificed as more formidable forces enter the arena from Lebanon. Even so, it has overturned the balance of power in the Middle East. Simultaneously, it has recreated the conditions that produced the war on terror. There will be heightened risk in everyday life in Western countries for many years to come. Benjamin Netanyahu and his government ignored the threat because they believed Hamas could be useful in dividing Gaza. Hamas's strategy was subtler. Using old tech methods, infiltrating Israeli territory and communicating with one another without using the internet, it played along and lulled Israel into a false sense of safety, which the Americans shared. A week before Hamas struck, Joe Biden's national security adviser, Jake Sullivan, opined, the Middle East region is quieter than it has been for two decades. Then Hamas launched an operation very like that presented in the Al-Qaeda manual, The Management of Savagery, published online in 2004, in which systematic terror is defended as a strategy for establishing a theocratic state. Despite the catastrophic failures of intelligence, Netanyahu persists in denying the gravity of the disaster he has presided over. According to recent reports, he is proposing that Gaza be governed by the Palestinian Authority, though no one has any idea what self-government in Gaza would mean after continuous aerial bombardment and the devastating ground invasion that is coming. One of the casualties of the 7th of October is the project of Palestinian statehood. In the West especially the Anglosphere, Hamas is increasingly seen through the lens of a progressive mindset in which it is a movement of resistance against a settler state. It is a distortion of history to equate the Palestinian cause with Hamas, which came to power in Gaza in 2007 after a campaign of violence against its rival Fatah, since which there have been no democratic elections. Western media, nevertheless, tend to give credence to Hamas's account of events. Early reports by the BBC and the New York Times of an Israeli strike on Al-Ali Hospital in Gaza City on the 17th of October were at best premature, as there was no reliable evidence available at the time through which they could be verified. Subsequent analysis suggests the strike was more likely caused by a rocket fired from within Gaza and the reports have been retracted or qualified. In the meantime, indelible images of a bombed hospital, headlined with seemingly factual statements about the source of the missiles, have been implanted in the minds of millions of people. Whatever the truth, 
Hamas is winning the information war. If you're enjoying this episode, you might like to listen to more. All our audio long reads are available on their own feed. Search Audio Long Reads in your podcast app or follow the link in the episode notes. A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. The longer the conflict goes on, the harder it will be for Western governments to maintain their support for Israel. Consider the quandary facing Keir Starmer. His drive against the anti-Semitism that festered in Labour's upper levels under Jeremy Corbyn's leadership was critical in making the party the unified government in waiting it is today. But many activists and Muslim voters reject Starmer's pro-Israel stance and the resignation of Muslim councillors in Leicester and Oxford puts that unity into serious question. For all the thunderous recent by-election victories... These are supporters Labour can ill afford to lose. Muslim voters will be important in some key seats, and an interview on LBC on the 11th of October, in which the Labour leader said that Israel, quote, has the right to withhold power and water from Gaza, has provoked particularly angry protests. It would be unfortunate for the party to go into an election it is set to win at war with itself. Attitudes to Hamas are different in Europe, where Islamist terror has blunted sympathy for the Palestinian cause. The killing of two Swedish football fans in Brussels on the 16th of October came after many other atrocities that have left enduring scars, the Bataclan concert hall attack in Paris in November 2015 being one of the worst. Identification with the Palestinians will be further eroded if another wave of migrants is the result of the flight from Gaza. Egypt and Jordan have already refused to accept any refugees, with a senior Egyptian official reportedly telling a European counterpart, quote, You want us to take one million people? Well, I'm going to send them to Europe. You care about human rights so much. Well, you take them. Europe is unlikely to step into the breach, its overriding concern over the coming decades will be with mass immigration, an issue on which far-right and adjacent parties are setting the agenda. In Poland, the liberal Donald Tusk is expected to come to power after echoing the anti-immigrant rhetoric of his nationalist rivals. Despite his advanced years, Joe Biden has handled the foreign policy crises of his presidency with steadier judgment than many of his critics. But in his address to the nation on the 19th of October, where he asserted that, quote, American leadership holds the world together, he spoke as someone from a previous age. Ungovernable after the historically unprecedented ousting of the Republican Speaker, Kevin McCarthy, Congress has not been able to authorise any of the $100 billion Biden has demanded in funding, most of it for Ukraine and Israel. With its armories depleted, federal debt approaching dangerously unsustainable levels and racked by all-consuming culture wars, 
America is divided. Its primacy survives on borrowed time. Whoever enters the White House in January 2025, the country will be hard-pressed to hold itself together. War in the Middle East will accelerate American disengagement from Europe. The question is no longer whether America's support for Ukraine will be wound down, but when and by how much. Fatigue with the war and frustration with Europe are bipartisan moods in Washington. If Donald Trump would aim to negotiate a partition of the country, a democratic administration in 2025 might emulate Biden in Afghanistan and essentially cut Ukraine adrift. Either way, the consequences would be profound. The continent of Europe is more dependent on the American security guarantee than it has been since the most perilous moments in the Cold War, with its main proponent, Emmanuel Macron, mired in domestic troubles in France. Strategic autonomy is more remote than ever. Though the Baltic nations, Sweden and Poland, are arming themselves against Russia, Germany and France are leaning towards détente. Having haunted Euro-federalists and Brexiters alike for decades, the phantasm of a European state has evaporated. Europe is, to echo Bismarck in 1872, a geographical expression, not a geopolitical actor. Soft power has proved to be a euphemism for impotence. In a scenario unimaginable only months ago, the continent could soon become a balkanised peninsula on the edges of an intact Russian empire. It is telling that Biden insists that America can bear the burdens of war on two fronts. What of China, supposedly the fulcrum of American strategy in coming years? An unthinking orthodoxy has it that if the US vacates Europe, it will be in order to check growing Chinese power. But there is little appetite among American voters for a prolonged struggle to regain a fading hegemony. Trump talks bigly of making America great again. But one reason for his appeal is that he offers to keep the US out of unending foreign wars. A second Trump presidency may aim for a trade deal with China rather than risk military conflict. That doesn't mean China will replace the US as the sole hyperpower. India, for example, won't accept Chinese supremacy. America's relations with the Middle East are also uncertain. Its commitment to Israel's defence would be severely tested in a protracted war. The nine-month-long American-led campaign to retake Mosul from Islamic State in 2016-17 reduced the Iraqi city to rubble. A ground offensive against Hamas will be an even more difficult operation. Obfuscating and effectively eliminating the difference between fighters and the general population is a key feature of guerrilla warfare. Sitting in its infrastructure, underneath schools and mosques, Hamas is maximising civilian casualties as part of its strategy, just as ISIS did in Mosul. But Hamas has had longer to entrench itself, and unlike in Mosul, where the ruined city could be taken over by the Iraqi government, no one is ready to rule a desolated Gaza. Inevitably, world opinion will cast Israel as the aggressor. It is not impossible to envision the US resuming its attempt to withdraw from the Gulf, 
the appeal of the now-aborted rapprochement was that it enabled the US to exit from a zone of conflict whose oil it no longer needed. Assuming the war does not spiral out of control, the longer-term prospect could be that Israel is left to fend for itself, while Iran and its Arab enemies revert to their struggles for regional dominance. The events of the 7th of October will be remembered as a day in which a new epoch of barbarism was born. In ethical terms, it will be a time when atrocities were accepted as legitimate weapons in human conflict. In its geopolitical dimension, it was the point at which the post-Cold War order finally fractured. We have entered a world of imperial rivalries like that before 1914, which ended in Europe's suicide in the trenches. After the Second World War, the United States ascended to its global hegemony, which is now in turn coming to an end. The difference is that this time there is no successor on the horizon. You've been listening to audio long reads from The New Statesman, written by John Gray and read by me, Melissa Deans. This episode was produced by Catherine Hughes.